Tēnā koutou hoa ko maonga kē ke toko maonga, ko hauraki toko moana, ko MV Corinthic toko waka. That'll tell you straight away that um, uh, I'm, um, my iwi is uh, from Britain originally, a little bit of German, don't ask me how that all happened. Um, no tamaki mākaurau a hau, uh, ko te mata parawai toko kainga nai nei. Um, Ko Diane, toho wahini hoa na Fatamariki, na Fitu, Fitu Mokupuna. So I'm Phil, Phil Pauli, married to Diane, got four adult children and seven Mokus, seven point nine. It's about to be eight. Yam Nati Pakia. My ancestors came from um, Leicester, and um, that was when they were winning at football, and then um, from Germany. And uh, as I said, I'm not sure how they managed to pull that together. Um, and uh, Diane and I have the, uh, after circling the globe, ended up um, uh, living at uh, Tamata on the Thames coast. We did live just down the road from here at uh, Tanifa Street prior to heading overseas. So um, I gave my life to Jesus at the tender age of a 21-year-old, uh, so 1978, you can do the maths. And um, uh, at that point, I was a dope-smoking, beer-swilling, blaspheming um, person from the uh, ex-army chef, actually. And um, I was newly married and dairy farming in a place called Orini, just um, out uh, over the Waikato. And the people of the chapel out there loved Diane and me into the kingdom. Um, my claim to fame is that uh, Craig's old man kicked me in the pants and asked me, why are you not a Christian? Uh, you believe this and you believe that. So, in fact, uh, he led me to the Lord uh, in September 1978. We ended up in Youth with a Mission, which is probably an unusual track for um, a brethren young believer to end up in, but uh, we had half of our time, well, I, I could go into the details, but then I wouldn't have time to do anything else. So we, um, we had uh, half of our time in YWAM uh, in New Zealand, and we ended up here in, um, in the, the Waikato for about uh, five years of that, and then the other half was spent in England, uh, which was, um, we actually spent 20 years in the UK place called St. Helens. If you're a rugby league fan, you'll know exactly where it is because that's the best rugby league team on earth. Um, <clears throat> well, they're kind of like the Warriors, but they win silverware. That's the difference, really. <laughs> uh, and they win most of their games. Um, actually, it's quite a good day today, isn't it, really, uh, with the Warriors having won uh, the other night and then the... Oh, I'm not allowed to tell you what... Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> so it's a really bad day. Uh, <laughs> so... Yeah, yeah, uh, sorry. I'm going to go home and watch the game anyway. Um, so, uh, yeah, we had seven years over in the UK uh, in YWAM, and then after that, uh, the rest of the time, I was working as a diocesan missioner for the Church of England, uh, uh, Diocese of Liverpool. Please don't ask me how on earth a Baptist brethren boy from the back blocks of the Waikato ended up as an Anglican diocesan missioner, but I did, and it was great fun. It was a wonderful uh, 12 years of my life. We returned there in 2009 to, uh, for me to take up uh, the lead pastor role within Morrinsville Baptist. I stepped down from um, Morrinsville Baptist in 2018 
February 2018 to take on the role that I currently have as the National Director for Sports Chaplaincy New Zealand. And I'd have to say I'm having a ball. I've never had so much fun in my entire life. Um, this is what I was born for. I get to spend my time with a bunch of people who don't go near church, most of them anyway, and, uh, and very often end up talking with them about Jesus. Uh, I'm currently also volunteer chaplain to Thames Valley Rugby uh, Union and, um, th and their rep team, the Swamp Foxes. And if you don't know about the Swamp Foxes, you need to go get a life. So, so they're not quite at the level of the All Blacks, actually they're the, the other end of the, <laughs> of the structure. But they're a representative team and they have won recently and done very well. So, um, oh, that's right, I better put this on, aren't I? Uh, I'm in charge of this. Whoops, it's falling apart now. So, um, who am I and why uh, sports chaplaincy? I've always had an interest in sport, uh, but never as a pro. Uh, I was a recreational runner. I ran the London Marathon twice. That's my claim to fame. Did it under four hours, which is not bad for a fat boy with short legs. I should have been, a, you know, a, a hooker, you know, in rugby, that is. And, um, but um, I never really got that far in rugby. But certainly not a runner anyway. Uh, I did climb Mount Kilimanjaro twice, um, as if the first time wasn't painful enough, and that was to raise £100,000 for, for a... Um, a big evangelistic uh, outreach that we were doing in Liverpool. And my more recent claim to fame was uh, having walked a thousand kilometres from uh, Waitangi to Waikanae, as you do when you have a sabbatical, in 2017, which actually led to me reconsidering what I was doing. I, I recaptured my, well, God gave me back a passion for speaking with people who weren't Christians after nine years of working within the church. Um, and I was, I was following the approximate journey of uh, Taurori's copy of Tarangapai Ruka, and um, that was a story in itself. It was actually being chaplain to St Helens Rugby League that uh, for 10 years whilst I was in St Helens that, um, that got me going in sports chaplaincy and um, that plus a recognition that uh, the way that most of us were engaging in mission and evangelism within the church was not working particularly well. What is a, what is a sports chaplain? Um, when I do this, you're supposed to press me. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. Um, so, uh, well, maybe a quote from a, um, a pastor who was in Nelson at the time who I'd been nagging to um, become a sports chaplain for about three years until he finally decided he should ask God about it. And to his surprise, God said, yes, do, do what Phil's telling you. <laughs> it's a good idea. Anyway, he, um, so, so uh, he said this. He said, uh, after just one season, I can honestly say that uh, it has been one of the most rewarding and enjoyable ministry decisions I've made. Surprisingly, the same grace and anointing to pastor believers is present in supporting and connecting with these mostly irreligious athletes who would uh, unlikely grace the doors of my church. While the church faces a challenge of being light in an increasingly secular world, the sporting community are opening, uh, openly inviting believers in. What an opportunity. The only question is, will we say yes? So what is a chaplain? Just wondering if there's batteries in this. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's good fun to take them out and then blame the person at the back. 
Um, what is a chaplain? So uh, I've just put a brief description up there. Basically, a person who either works part or full time uh, uh, as a volunteer or as a paid person offering pastoral care and well-being support out there in our community. There are all kinds of chaplains. Um, oh, that one worked. There we go. No, that one. <laughs> you do it. I'll wave. <laughs> so um, there's, there's all kinds of chaplaincy in New Zealand, probably about 16 or 17 different forms that I'm aware of from education, health, police, prisons, military, fire service, business, seafarers, media, um, music, and sport. And whilst I can't vouch for these other forms of chaplaincy, uh, what I see in sports chaplaincy is that we're growing and we're growing incredibly fast. In fact, so fast we can't keep up with the demand. Um, we have way more openings than we have uh, chaplains who are trained up for those. So the way we operate is we're a small team of paid national and regional leaders, uh, national staff and le regional leaders, and our role is to promote sports chaplaincy uh, to churches and to sports organisations around the country. Uh, we seek to identify people who would make great chaplains, to train them, accredit them and place them and then look after them uh, in that role. Um, we've currently got over 70 accredited sports chaplains placed in clubs and teams around the country in 16 different sporting codes and at all levels of sport from warriors and breakers uh, right down to swamp foxes and school teams. And while it's really been exciting watching the growth around this country, it's quite sobering to know that there are over 7,000 sports clubs in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and all of them would benefit from having a sports chaplain. So we've got a massive job ahead of us, and we've only just begun, and we need your help. We need the help of the church right across this country. Uh, just by way of uh, example, I was... Um, I got an email on Thursday from Bay of Plenty Rugby Union and I went over there to, um, I got it a couple of days back, and went over there on Thursday to sign a memorandum of understanding with them to provide sports chaplains throughout their structure. That is a, 38 clubs that they have all will ultimately hopefully have a sports chaplain. It'll take five or seven years to go right through that whole organisation, but the door is wide open for us. And of course, we're, we're immediately providing chaplaincy to the steamers and to the um, volcanics over there, their um, representative teams. So, what does a sports chaplain do? Three words, presence, listening, caring. We're invited into a team or a club to provide them with uh, not just them, not just the athletes, but also their whanau, uh, with pastoral care and well-being support. And uh, that mainly means being present, just being there, building relationships. Um, either Very often it means being at training, at home games, or wherever else the, the people of that community need us. We spend a lot of time listening, asking empowering questions, learning and building relationships of trust. Uh, we get to help people in all kinds of ways, all kinds of um, pastoral needs that, that crop up from time to time. And sometimes it's just giving advice and suggestions, support. And if we feel that it's necessary, we'll refer them on to professional support and help. We get to pray with people. Uh, and when they ask us deeper spiritual questions, then we get to share Jesus with them as well. One of the things you might notice is that we start where people are and we go on a journey with them. Um, 
We don't start with them where we might want them to be. We don't start by trying to invite them uh, uh, into our realm, but we go into their realm. And we're, we're in it for the long haul. We're seeking to make uh, a difference in people's lives, building real and genuine relationships and building trust with them. So we're not in it to proselytize. Now, if you know me, you know I'm an evangelist, so I'm always wanting to share Jesus with people, and I'm stoked when people actually ask us about our faith and we get the opportunity to share Jesus with them as a result of that. But it's because of their invitation rather than us trying to, to force something down their throats. There's much more I'd like to say about sports chaplaincy, but I really want to move on and just um, use uh, Luke 24, uh, uh, share from that and let you join up some of the dots. Because what I'm going to share... I think it's good not just for the sporting community, but all kinds of existing communities within our, within our society, out there in our town. So in Luke 24, and thank you for reading that, it was brilliant. Um, the, um, this, this account is immediately after the resurrection, and uh, Luke clearly gives it a priority. So I think it's got something important to say to us, and to say to us today. And the first thing is that, um, there we go, um, did that work? Two of them, two of them, two of them were, were going to Emmaus. And it may not occur to you just what this is saying, but, but they were heading in the wrong direction. Like Jerusalem is the center. It's the capital of the spiritual world. It's uh, the center of the universe as, as far as the Jews were concerned. And it was certainly the, the location of the house of God and the place uh, of his presence and his glory. And so they're going in the wrong direction. They're discouraged. Um, they've lost hope. Uh, they didn't understand what was going on. And isn't that kind of an apt description for many of us today? You know, it's um, not just us, by the way, but many in our community feel exactly like that. Okay, these, these were two disciples. Um, we don't know who they were, whether they were part of the 12 or whether they were part of the bigger band. But that tempts us to think that this account speaks only to the church. But I think we need to change our way of thinking uh, and stop dividing the world into saved and unsaved, Christian and non-Christian, them and us. Let's think differently. Let's try and think how, about the world as God looks at the world. And so let's think instead of only us, humans. It's us. We're all in this together. You remember John 3.16, for God so loved the whole world that he sent his only son? The truth is we're all lost. We're all without hope when we lose sight of Jesus. So I, I want to just put it out there and suggest that maybe the way to go about mission in the 21st century is that we let God be the judge of who's in and who's out. Our task is to love people as God does. And so far as I can see, he loves him with an everlasting and an amazing love. And I think for too long, the church has been diverted into a moralism. Uh, you'd think actually our calling were to be the moral police of society, but that's not actually what Jesus has called us to be at all. In fact, um, weren't we called to be friend of sinners? Isn't that the example he gave us? Maybe our goal in life should be to earn the same reputation that Jesus had. That of being a drunkard and a glutton. Now, I'm not for a moment suggesting that he was or that we should become that. But, um, but I do think that uh, it would be great if we got tarred with that same brush and um, that uh, because of our great love for the people around us and our association with lives that are fraught, that are broken, um, that we ended up earning that 
you know, even lives that look pretty good on the surface, as is the case in many sports people, you can find a whole lot of brokenness underneath that surface. So Jesus came near and he went with them. And I love this picture. And I love it for a bunch of reasons, probably way too many than I can just deal with today. But um, if God has a method of mission, then I think this is it. It is almost certainly incarnation. I don't think God does methods, by the way. But nonetheless, when God seeks to rescue the world, he enters into the world. He becomes one of us. He does life with us. He draws near to us and goes on a journey with us. Um, in the wrong direction, by the way, away from Jerusalem. Strange. That's the way of God. By contrast, the normal missional way, the more normal missional approach of most churches is, is invitational. It's come to us. Come to us. Come to our building and our programs. And I want to say right now that of all the churches I've spoken in, I love this church the most, and I've been here many times before. I just normally haven't come through those doors. Right? And I've drunk your coffee and I've eaten the pastries, and, which I know you could tell I've been eating the pastries, but um, that's why I'm not a pro sportsman anymore. Oh, and actually, it's probably my age. But um, I've been here, and, and of all the invitational things I see in the church, this has got to be way up there as being one of the best things. But it's still a major step from the cafe into here. So when we look at... Um, the way we go about church, and uh, we have our invitation and our programs and so on, uh, what we are actually saying to people is you leave your culture and come and join ours and adopt our culture. Uh, sounds a little bit like the colonialism that we inherited from our forebears, doesn't it? You leave your friends and come and make new friends here. We've got the truth and we're going to tell you what it is. Hmm, a little bit like Christendom. So it's not that our programs are without value, but maybe they're becoming less and less effective as the world around us changes. Like it or not, we're no longer the centre of society, if we ever were in Aotearoa or New Zealand. But we're on the margins, and that means we have, to, we have to be the ones who move back into the community. In sports chaplaincy, um, presence is everything. In fact, in all forms of chaplaincy, being with people, drawing near to them, going with them, even when it seems to be heading in the wrong direction. I love that Jesus went to some very dodgy places and sat with some very dodgy characters and he was never afraid of the damage it might do to his reputation. We've got to exercise wisdom here, folks. You know, if you've got a problem with alcohol, well, then I suggest it's probably not the best thing to go to the pub. If you've got a problem with lust, well, don't be working with prostitutes. If you've got a problem with gambling, stay out of the casinos. You know, use common sense. Oh, by the way, don't just get wise about that, but also um, get healed, get set free so that you can be all that God wants you to be. But don't lead yourself into temptation. There are plenty of opportunities and other ways to serve God, like sports, for instance. So um, <clears throat> they stood still. They stood still there and they looked sad. Their world had been literally tipped upside down in those few short days since the triumph of Psalm, of Palm Sunday. Their dream had gone. Their uh, long-awaited Messiah, who was hopefully going to smite the Romans, well, he'd been killed, been killed by the Romans, and their their hope was literally shattered. Maybe they'd been hoping for the wrong things. 
Jesus was never going to be their revolutionary who kicked some Roman butt. That wasn't his agenda. God had much bigger plans than that, didn't he? You know, it wasn't to save the temple or Jerusalem. It, um, it, it was not just to rescue the wayward tribes of Israel. It was to redeem the whole of humanity, the whole world, indeed the whole cosmos. His plan was to expose um, and to destroy the works of evil in all of its forms and to bring about his kingdom on earth. I think we must stop selling the gospel short. The power of Jesus, of what Jesus did, is far greater than all of the sin and evil in this world today and every day. And yet most Christians that I meet are kind of sitting around, and this has got worse, I'd say, since COVID and since Putin and China's saber-rattling, and there's this tendency to be sitting around, wringing our hands, waiting for the end to come. We kind of, we think of the world as the Titanic. You know, we've hit the iceberg, she's going to sink, let's just get as many people into the lifeboats as we can. But I want to ask the question, what kind of cross are you looking at? What kind of Christ do you believe in if you're ready to abandon this world? Because that's not what I see in the heart of God. This is the greatest opportunity that we have ever had. In my whole life, I've never experienced something like this. Forty-something years of ministry, this is the first time I've been in a situation where the world is welcoming us in. Come and help us. Come and help us. Yeah, I know you're a Christian. Well, you know, try to be reasonable about that. Don't come Bible bashing us, but come and love us. Come and care for us. Oh, and by the way, we will open up and talk with you about the stuff that's really going on deep down inside. And there will be conversations that can take place because you take the time to come and invest in me where I am. I think the Lord's Prayer goes something like this. Rather than an abandoning of the world, eto matu, matua iterangi kia tapu tō ingoa, kia tai mai tō rangatiratanga, kia mea tau e pai ai, ki runga, ki te whenua, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We live in a, in a world that is, um, it's got lots of disappointments, lots of fear, lots of anxiety and mistrust. And surely as disciples of the risen Lord Jesus, we have something to contribute into our world today. If not us, then who? We had hoped the two disciples said to Jesus. And like them, I think we need to have a change of perspective. We need to regain our hope in God's redemptive purposes for our whole world, rather than just the salvation of a small remnant. You know, we're just waiting here for Jesus to whip us out of here. That is not the gospel. The gospel is the transformation of this world of men, women, and children coming to know who God is through what Jesus has done. Now, before you ask, I'm not a universalist, by the way, but I'm certainly an optimist, and there's a big difference. Jesus said to them, was it not necessary, and for more reasons than we can really get into this morning, possibly covering, um, it was necessary for Jesus to enter 
into this world and become one of us. It was necessary for him to live a fully human life and to demonstrate to us what God can, God's kingdom is really like. It was necessary for him to suffer and to die and to rise again. And it is necessary for us to be baptized into his incarnation, into his death, burial, and resurrection. Only then do we share in his power, both here and now in this society. Jesus shows, shows us this necessity of incarnation, by the way, of entering in and becoming part of the population. That's the model. That's what he's shown us. The prophets of old, by the way, told exiled Israel to do exactly the same, to settle down, build homes, seek the welfare of the city that they'd been placed in. We need to change perspective. We're not called to sit around waiting for Jesus to return and whisk us away and then blow this old planet to smithereens. We need to, be, we need to get a hold of God's perspective and become part of his transforming purposes in this world, changing the world from the inside out. And part of our problem, I think, is the metaphors that we use, the word pictures that have been uh, used in mission for so long. Um, You'll, rem you'll know this. Uh, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Well, Jesus was speaking to his disciples about who they were, not about how they went about doing the work of the kingdom. He's saying, you're unique, but don't allow uniqueness to be watered down. Don't hide who you are. Don't be fearful about what other people think or say or do to you. Now, when we think about salt and light, by the way, salt and life are, are confrontational. You know, salt halts the rot, doesn't it? It's, um, it confronts it. It stops it. Light overwhelms darkness. But what if salt and light are not the missional word pictures that we should be running with here? I think that there's a much better metaphor for our generation, and it's this metaphor. It's in Luke 13, 20 to 21. To what should I compare the kingdom of God, Jesus says? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all was leavened. You know, yeast has this fantastic capacity to, um, uh, it, when you place it into the dough, it, it slowly transforms it from the inside out. If ever there was a metaphor to, ex to, to kind of describe God's way of doing things, I think this is it. We are placed into the lump. Not the other way around. Actually, I forgot. I was going to bring a whole bunch of yeast and throw it at you. I don't have to do the vacuuming, but, um, but I left it in the fridge so you, you're safe, especially if you're allergic to yeast. Um, the, you know, we're placed into the lump. The lump's not placed into the yeast. And, and if you think about that change of thinking about how we go about mission and evangelism, it is utterly profound. Recognising yeast takes time. So, uh, and... and um, you know, we've got to stop thinking about our short-term evangelistic programs where we try and line everybody up and hit them with the gospel. Now, sometimes that works because the person's ready. You know, what Malcolm did for me was gave me a boot in the pants I, that I needed. It was the right moment. But what happened before I met Malcolm Burrow was that I had a bunch of people who'd loved me to the point where I could hear that message. And we're, we're trying to do that without any of this. That's what's got to change. You know, we're running around looking for the good soil, but the good soil in our society is reducing all the time. 
because we live in a, in a world that no longer knows the stories of Jesus. You know, gone are the days when our population lived under the mainly Christian umbrella, that meta-narrative or that story. Most people today, they only know about Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. And yet we're trying to tell them to give their lives to Jesus. Jesus who? Let's start where people are, not where we might want them to be. Jesus took bread, he blessed it and he broke it. And I love that in the ordinariness of a meal, Jesus opens the eyes of those who could not see who he is. Do you get it? Imagine what might happen if we have that kind of relationship with the people in our community. What if we do life with them? What if we got to know them, cared for them, loved them as Jesus loves them? Jesus shows us that we must learn to sit and eat with tax collectors and prostitutes and rugby players and, and those who play other sports like basketball and netball and they row and they run and they cycle and they swim and they do gymnastics and a hundred other sporting activities in this country. Wherever people gather, we must go. We must become the yeast placed into that lump, that dough. We must be the vulnerable ones who, who enter in and do life with people on their terms. That's what being yeast is all about. We must build relationships, genuine relationships with people. You know, there was a stage, I remember, where we were told to go and make friends for Jesus. You need, look, if somebody had done that to me, if they tried to make friends with me for Jesus, I would have told them in no uncertain terms and with my army lingo, where to go. <laughs> you know, if you don't want to be my friend for who I am, I'm not interested. We don't go and make friends for Jesus. Make friends because... These people are created in his image. They, they are valuable. They are why he died on the cross, yeah. But go and make friends with them because actually friendship is the beginning of everything. Genuine relationship, trust relationships. Without that, we don't have the right to speak. Our society is rotting because we're stuck in a salt cellar. Our community languishes in the dark because our lights are still hidden underneath the basket. I believe it's time for us to allow ourselves to be needed into some lump somewhere, some existing group in our city, some existing group within our region. And then we'll begin to have that long-term transformative um, power and approach you know, by, by committing ourselves to people, not just for a few weeks, but for a year, or year after year after year. When people want to become a sports chaplain, I say to them, how long for? You see, if you want to be a sports chaplain, well, there's several problems we have. First of all, I could get no end of people who want to be sports chaplains to the All Blacks, right? I ask people, what, who do you want to be a sports chaplain to? Oh, the All Blacks, right? And I go, well, would you be prepared to be a sports chaplain to Malvor High's first 15? Oh, no. You, actually, I don't want you as a sports chaplain for the All Blacks because if you're not prepared to serve at that level, what makes you think you're going to be able to serve at another level? You know? Other people, well, yeah, I could do this for a little while. How much is that person's life worth 
that you're going to go and build relationship with. Are you going to start here and, oh, yeah, no, it's a bit tough, I'll go over here. Oh, no, it's a bit tough, I'll go over there. When I kicked off at St. Helens Rugby League, sorry, I forgot the time there. Um, when I kicked off at St. Helens Rugby League, um, it took probably two years to find a place of, of acceptance, just a little bit amongst the team and, uh, and some of their families. And then eventually, Daniel Anderson rocks up there. I, this was year five. I'd been at Chapman for five years. Five hard years, hardly any fruit. And I'd been praying for that team, and I'd been praying for their families, and I'd visited people in hospital. I'd, I'd done all the pastoral care things you can imagine. And then um, Anderson turns up, and he asked me what I did. I told him, and he said, well, just keep doing that for the next three months. We'll have a conversation. And then he said to me, after three months, I like what you're doing. Can you do more? And so he asked me to get involved in the backroom staff. And the last five years, what I'm saying is this, that was a decade of my life invested into that community of people. When I started, there were no chaplains in rugby league. When I finished, eight of the Super League chaplain, uh, teams had chaplains. Today, every um, professional and semi-professional rugby league um, club within the United Kingdom must have a sports chaplain. 20-something years later. If you're looking for a short-term fix, forget it. People, people don't need a short-term fix. They need those who are going to love them and invest in their lives and, and go the distance with them and sit and eat with them and, and listen to their grizzling and pray with them and help them. And eventually, bit by bit, some of them will open up and say, tell me more. You don't have to be a professional sports person. You don't even have to... Well, you probably need to like sports to get involved. If you don't like sports, you know, go and be a police chaplain. <laughs> so a prison chaplain if you're really, really sad. So <laughs> we've got to do the time. We've got to do the time with people and, um, and recognise that for God so loved them that he rocked up on this planet, became one of us. If God was prepared to go to that extremity to, be, uh, to allow... You know, the Son of God to be beaten up, put to death on a cross. And we go, oh, you know, I'll give it a year, see what happens. Don't start. Don't start. This is a long journey. By the way, one of the things that the Lord spoke to my heart recently about was the parable of the soils. You know the, you know the story of the parable of the soils? You've got the, the pathways, you've got the weedy soil, you've got the rocky soil, and then you've got the good soil. And, um, and I, I came to faith at a time where there was quite a bit of good soil around. So, you know, um, Louis Palau filled up the stadium there and a whole bunch of people went forward and gave their lives to Jesus. And, um, in fact, my uncle and auntie did. It was wonderful. But those people had already prepared soil in their life. They'd done Bible in schools. They'd done Sunday school. They'd gone through this and that, and they had good soil. Today, we don't have that. Actually, what we're faced with are people whose lives are like a pathway. They're downtrodden. They're, they're beaten up. And somebody needs to help those people see their pathways that everybody's been walking over them, help that get turned back into good soil, right? Um, other people, you know, their lives are absolutely cluttered with all kinds of junk. How are we going to help them pull those weeds out so that eventually when seed is thrown onto that soil, it will take root 
It takes time to help people weed their soil and get good soil. And for those whose lives are, are full of rocks and are shallow, you know, if you go down to Canterbury, do you know what they do? They rake their soil and put all the rocks to one side. If you go to Israel, what do they do? They hoe over the ground, they pick up the rocks and they build fences out of them. And they keep doing this. They hoe it up again and again and again until they get enough depth that the seed can take root and it can withstand the fern winds that blown down off the mountains. There's plenty of good soil in this community, but we have to take the time and effort to love people and care for people and journey with people so that we can help turn over those pathways. We can help weed their lives. We can help them pull the rocks out and get depths. You know the thing about the parable of the soils I love? Jesus goes like this. The, the farmer is God. And what does he do? He throws, soil, he throws seed onto all of those soil types. So that tells you what God is thinking. Do the hard yards. Do the mahi. Right? That's going to take time. That's going to take commitment to people. That's journeying with people till their soil is deep enough to take it on board. I'm about to wrap it up. You'll be pleased to know. We're going to skip Vincent. <clears throat> and um, let me just finish with this. How do you get involved in something like this? Well, you don't have to be good at sport. You just need to love people. It's important to have some life experience, some pastoral skills, but you don't have to be a pro. We can train you, credit you, and um, help you find suitable placement and support you in that role. And if you can't and don't think sports chaplaincy is for you, well, there are plenty of other opportunities out there that you can get involved in. You could pray at... If you have a phone, you would do me a huge favour if you took it out right now and sent an alarm so that at two minutes past ten, every day, you just stopped and prayed this simple prayer. Father, thrust more workers out into the field. Luke 10, 02. If I can get a thousand people praying every day at two minutes past ten, do you think that might start to shift something in our country? So, and if you want to be even more specific, just pray for more chaplains because I need hundreds of them to fill all the opportunities we have. 10.02, put it in your phone and uh, you could probably skip Sunday because church has probably started at that point. But um, I've got mine doing Monday through Saturday. I send out weekly prayer texts. If you want to be, uh, receive those, just give me your mobile, your name, and I'll put it into my phone and I'll make sure you get that every week or two. I send out a prayer text just saying what I'm up to and, um, and, and I'll often include what's going on within sports chaplaincy in some little way to get you praying on that. You could pray, you can give, and I'm not asking for money that you would give to your church at all. Oh, by the way, these are out on the um, desk out the back. But you might want to sacrifice... I can't really do that here. Can I sacrifice a coffee? That is taken from your pocket. So, okay, this is for a coffee that you have at some other cafe that you were never going to drink here, okay? Give up one coffee a week. And that would really help too. Um, you saw Murray Hunt there. Murray is, um, uh, Murray is our Waikato regional leader. And um, we, we, all, we are all self-supporting. So we raise up a team of ministry supporters. Um, so if, if you're the sort of person that goes, I've got a chunk of resources here that I want to pour into this, come and see me. You can support Murray, you can support me. That would be brilliant. Um, or you can support our core costs. We, we do all our training for free, by the way. 50 bucks registration free, but we, I raise the money from trusts to do that. And um, 
costs us about $2,000 to train somebody and accredit them and get them placed. And, uh, and praise God there are trusts who step up and help doing that, but the, you know, help us to do that so that we can make it as easy as possible for people to get into this and get involved in it. Or ultimately you can go. You can go and be one of the answers to your own prayers. And there is a flyer out the back. If you Could you be a sports chaplain? Have a look at that. Um, we have sports chaplaincy Sunday coming up in the middle of, um, of, uh, of September. There's a very simple way that you can engage if you don't want to do any of that stuff, and that is get a hold of one of these postcards, which I've given uh, to the boss at the moment, but um, which he'll no doubt give out if anybody wants them. Um, but uh, our idea there is that you might take one of these and just write a simple note on the back and post it or hand it to the, the person who's coaching your kids, the person who's refereeing their games, the person who is you know, transporting them here, there and everywhere. You might have to write yourself one of these. Um, but actually just to start saying to people in the sporting community, hey, we notice, we see you, but we care about you. Just a very simple, simple way of doing that. There's so much more I'd like to say about all of this, but I just think that'll do for today. I do invite you to, to join me and our team in the fields. There are so many sports clubs and teams crying out for pastoral care right now. Well-being is not a buzzword in this country. It's a recognition that people are dying because nobody cares about their well-being. I could have talked about Sean Tainui, which has been one of the prompts for the Bay Rugby to do something about chaplaincy. And we could talk about Olivia Podmore and her suicide. We could talk about other unknown names who never made it to top-level sport, whose lives are getting... They're ruined, and they need somebody to come alongside them and love them, care for them, and maybe show them that they matter. And as we do that, they might just see that there is a God in the universe who loves them even more than we could possibly do. Let's pray. Lord, whether it's sport, whether it's education, whether it's prisons, wherever it may be that you would place us into the lump, I pray that these precious people would be so energized and motivated at the opportunities that there are in our community right now that we would turn our eyes upon you and we would turn our eyes upon what you and who you are looking at. We know you look at us. We know you love us. Lord, you know that many of us have been through tough time over the last couple of years, and I pray that, that um, we would arise from that tough time, be re-energized by you, and engage in the mission that you're calling us to. Help us, Jesus, to be your hands and feet, to love people, to care for people, to pass to people, in our community, that we may gain the opportunity to share more deeply with them of your great love.